for delivering material to a job site, Acadiana uses Hayes Dump Truck Services. Since 2011, Hayes has been moving heaven and earth to job sites all over Acadiana with their top-of-the-line dump trucks. Whether it's a huge landscaping job or a pre-construction site, Hayes has the manpower and equipment to move the materials fast-fast. You call, we haul. Dirt, compost, gravel, topsoil, fill sand, and limestone. Call Hayes right now, 852-8043. Hayes Dump Truck Services, where Jesus is Lord of this company. You're about to embark on a journey through the written word of God on subjects that deal with today. This is Brothers Just Searching. How you doing, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Brothers Just Searching, where we talk about God's word and current world events to educate and to edify believers of Jesus Christ. I'm Isaac Hayes, along with Bowen Roban, Anthony Hayes, and Aubrey Box. Guys, what's going on? How's your week been doing? Uh, it's been good so far. It's been good? It's been good. You had enough rest this week, right? I slept the two days I was off. Oh, I wish. Hey, I woke up mama and daddy this morning. Uh, yeah. I, woke you, yeah. I woke you up too. Yeah. 4.15, I turned on the dump truck. They came running out like, what is going on? So, but, <laughs> they were asked to surprise you up that early. Yes. Well, I, I, I had to be at work for 5.30, 6 o'clock at the job that we was on. Uh-huh. So me waking up that early, I, I wanted to get there really for 5.30. And I'm glad I did because I got home extremely early. And we, Me we, too. Have a, we have a big interview lined up tonight. So I wanted to make sure everything was right, everything was good. And guess what? Everything is working out great. So we have a few difficult, technical difficulties, but we got it done. So, yeah. Oh, are you just setting up Christmas lights? Yes. Oh, yeah. We've got tons of Christmas lights. We've yeah. put them all Well, Christmas the is just around the corner. Christmas Thank is God. just around yeah. the corner. Thank God. We're getting tired of seeing Christmas lights. You know, <laughs> oh, but you got to think about it. New Year's is coming around. So, what you're going to put up then? I'll change the color of the lights. <laughs> <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of green, we turn purple or something like yeah, that. Something like that. Yep, <laughs> next will be green and gold. Green and gold. <laughs> hey, LSU's going to be playing in that bowl game. It's not a good bowl game, but... Uh, hey, the Cajuns won their bowl game, too, they won man. Their championship. They're going to play in the New Orleans Bowl. That's gonna man, be they won it. No, they got to play it. Or did oh, they play already? They played already. Oh, wow. I did not. I missed it. Uh-uh. I'm not a true Cajun fan. Oh, no. Unless they didn't play. I saw it on the news. They showed that they had played already. We'll find out. We'll find out after this. So, yeah. anyway, because I know this episode is going to drop. Merry Christmas to everybody, by the way. Mm-hmm. Praising mm-hmm. for Jesus coming and dying. Well, Jesus coming as, as a child. And Maybe we should sing joy to the world. Not you, Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> not you, Bowen. But anyway, guys. So, uh, if you start, I'll join in. <laughs> it might help, but it won't. Right. We, we don't want to scare our audience away, no. you know. Our guests death. that we have lined up. They're so. already terrified. We don't need to scare <laughs> them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Quick note, if you're listening on the audio podcast, uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, if you have not yet, hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button. If you already have, please share with your friends. Go ahead and share it on Facebook. Share, Go look us, like us on Facebook, brothers just searching. Uh, um, on there, we go ahead and share all the new episodes. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the bell. If you have already hit the bell and hit the subscribe button, Tell your friends. Uh, we found out today that 60-some percent of our listening ship on YouTube is not subscribed. Go ahead and subscribe. We have good mm-hmm. content coming out every week. All right, guys. So I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. He is the founding pastor of Church on the Move. 
He is also the host of Faith Root Podcast. He is also known to many in the world as Gospel Bill or Bill Gunner. I want to welcome to Brothers Just Searching for the first time, and hopefully many more maybe after this, <laughs> Pastor Willie George from Church on the Move. Pastor George, how you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Brother George, look, um, in prep, getting ready for the show, uh, we said it off air. I want to say it on air. You've been an inspiration to me and my brothers here in the Lord. Uh, me and my sibling right here, we, we watched all your shows, uh, a lot of your shows. I don't think we watched all of them. Oh, but, uh, we watched a lot of them. My kids are watching them. I bought the whole Gospel Bill set for them. They were introduced. Uh, You've just been a real inspiration to us, um, helped us grow in the Lord. And uh, on air, thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for your work in the ministry, my brother. It's really appreciate it. You are quite welcome. It's been my joy. Hey, that, that's so good. Uh, brother George, uh, how's everything in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Uh, y'all, y'all are doing well out there? Uh, church we is growing? Doing great. Yeah, we're doing awesome. Uh, uh, we're back to warm weather. I really would like to have some winter. That uh, makes deer move better. Uh, so. <laughs> well, us, we, y'all kind of like us over there. Y'all, y'all humid or what, what is y'all not as humid as us? It, you know, it, uh, it goes back and forth. This time of year, typically, we're not very humid. We can be just a little bit. You know, the other day before the storms hit so bad in Kentucky, we had a horrible, horrible uh, up in the high 70s, very humid. And then the front came in. The wind was blowing the flags straight out of the west. It was, you know, and I, and I thought, you know, when this kind of stuff happens, when that dryer hits the humid air and the dryer is a lot colder, it always spawns tornadoes. And we were right where all of that collided and, uh, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately for the people east of us, a couple of hundred, 300 miles or so, uh, they got hit pretty hard. And, uh, uh, we, we didn't get anything like that. Uh, you know, it, we had some of this stuff, uh, probably a month or so back. Uh, but, uh, this round, it didn't hit us. Amen. Well, we're glad the Lord protect y'all. And we, we feel the same way with the last hurricane that came through. Cause if you look on the map of Louisiana, we're between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. And that's where that storm was supposed to hit. And it was very, uh, Laura was one year, I think it's Delta. That was the next one or whatever. They passed right on the side of us and the Lord protected us. And we helped out the people that were on the, in the East and the West of us by giving water and stuff. So, uh, podcast owners, remember the, uh, the people in Kentucky and them States out there that, uh, they really need, need help right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so Pastor George, uh, we wanted to, we wanted to get you on because as, as I said, we, <laughs> We grew up watching your shows. Um, I, I was introduced to your podcast a few weeks ago uh, when setting up for the interview. And um, you, you, we learned a lot from you, uh, starting back from watching Bill Gunner, U.S. Marshall, Gospel Bill, uh, learning Bible verses and all. And, and we know in a production like that, there's always a story behind it. There's always a testimony. Brother George, if you don't mind, would you tell us why you started in ministry or what inspired you to get into ministry? Well, I got saved when I was 17 and a half. Uh, uh, I was one to Christ uh, through my high school football coach who invited me to church. And I went to go hear a guy named James Robinson. And I'd never heard anybody like him. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, James asked me one time on his television show, what was it about me that made you want to come to Christ? And uh, I said, 
greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. I'd never been around anybody like you. There was something about you I'd never seen. No drug dealer, no uh, bootlegger, no thug, nobody I ever was around that was evil had anything like what you have. The power coming out of you was unreal. And uh, teenagers are drawn to power like that. And, uh, you know, I think people who want to reach teenagers need to know that. You reach teenagers with boldness, and James was certainly bold. A thousand kids got saved that week in that youth revival, and I got saved. Three weeks later, I uh, went to my grandma's church. Uh, uh, I knew instinctively, I, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. I, I knew I had a call to preach. Can't tell you when I got it. It just kind of grew on me. I, I, I don't know. I just woke up one day and realized I can't do anything else. I wasn't going to be a football coach. But uh, after uh, after getting saved, I knew I'm going to be I'm going to be a preacher. And so that's uh, kind of what happened. My mother's brother was a pastor, and so I had a terrible home life. My dad and mom were split. My dad told me I couldn't go to my grandma's church anymore. I had to go to church, uh, and I had to go to that church. It was where I was being fed. And so I told my dad, I said, well, if, I, if that's what is, the rule is, I respect your rule, uh, but I can't live here. And so I moved in with my mom. She was a drug addict. I uh, had to give up my car. My dad uh, would have taken it away from me had I kept it. And so I moved in with my mom, and uh, uh, I uh, got rides to church, found a way to get there, and wouldn't quit going. And my uncle heard about it and came down to see me told me that if I would come and live with him, he'd help me go to Bible school if I would help him build his youth ministry. And so we struck a deal, and I finished out my senior year in high school working for him, worked with him for uh, eight years, and uh, he helped me get into ministry. And so that's how I got started. So you started off as a youth pastor, not as a children's minister, per se. I started as a youth guide, but very quickly uh, after getting into it, yeah. And the, the great thing about my start, I, I was able to get right in on the ground floor of the Jesus movement. So that was the first big move that I ever experienced was we were connected to a church in Houston. They had all kinds of kids that were delivered from heroin addiction, all that stuff. Tons, hundreds of kids got saved there in that revival. And my uncle and the pastor there were friends. And so we were connected to them, even though we were like 700 miles away. And so I organized events and brought the music groups from Houston up to our church. And I put on these big youth rallies. I had 500 kids on the courthouse square in a town of 1,100 people. And I went out and advertised and beat the bushes and did handbills and promoted and got everybody I could find within 100 miles to come. And so we had, you know, pretty good crowds for where we were. And so I had a successful coffee house ministry. But then our church started a bus ministry. And that's really what touched my heart. And I didn't have any intention of ever teaching kids. I was going to pick them up and run the buses to get them. But one Sunday, my uncle got up and said, I need one of you men to go back to the children's church. And I need you to uh, uh, help separate some little boys who are fighting back there. Oh, wow. And I went back in the children's church and these two little old boys were fighting. And I thought, I'm going to do this one Sunday. I'm not going to do this forever. Uh, they're not going to trap me back here. I don't want to get caught with the kids. I, I'm, I love bringing them, but I'm not going to teach them. And I went back there and I sat in that children's church. And after 30 minutes, I was fighting with those same little boys that were fighting. Uh, it was the most boring lesson you'd ever want to hear. I mean, it's just terrible. 
And I could tell the lady who was teaching, she meant well, but she had no idea how to connect with a nine-year-old boy. And I thought, I don't know much, but I can do this. And so I asked for permission to take the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders into our youth coffee house on Sunday mornings and teach them. And they said, we'll think about it. And they thought on it for about an hour and came back and said, yes, you can do it. And the thing blew up. And it wasn't long before I had two, 300 kids on Sunday mornings in those classes. And uh, I had kids that rode buses from as far away as 70 miles. Wow. And I had six bus routes, uh, one of them 50 miles, one of them 42 miles, another one 44 miles, another one 16 miles, and then one right in our town. And so, anyway, I, I, I learned how to preach to kids. I did illustrated sermons, and I called fire down out of heaven. <laughs> I taught that Jesus was the Lamb of God. I made a, a lamb out of newspaper, but uh, I, I wadded it all up, and I put a bag of uh, Cairo syrup and red food coloring in the middle to make a blood sack, and I painted the whole thing white, and I took that lamb and stabbed it, and the blood went everywhere, and all those kids' eyes were great big. It's not politically correct, but... In 1973, it had a big impact, and those kids loved it. And so that's how I learned how to teach kids. And uh, so I didn't have any books. I didn't have any training. Uh, We went to some conferences, and those helped a great deal. Uh, But uh, I just uh, I, I thank God that I wasn't influenced by the typical children's worker because they would have tamed me too much. (laughs) And it was all of those illustrated sermons that connected me to kids and made me what I was. And so I used to cry and pray to God, God, let me have every kid that lives in a hundred mile radius, this church, give me their souls. And God had a little bigger plan for me. He gave me kids all over America. And he started showing me that I was going to have a kid's TV show that was going to reach the whole nation and not just that little zone where I was. And over the course of time, it happened. It's kind of funny, Pastor George, how, how you bringing that up. It it was something that you didn't you least expected to happen, and you know I'm a youth minister right now, and I know how you. Uh, I'm more into the teenage age, about ten to eighteen years old, give or take, and I understand what you go through. How to get these kids' attention? We we tried doing a teaching a while back, and it was it was good. They all learned, but. One time I looked, they were all falling asleep. And yeah, I was like, wait, Lord, how are we going to do that? And it's funny how the Lord does shows us visions when we're in the center of his will. It's not focused on us. It's focused on what he's doing. When you listen to the parables of Jesus and you read uh, the Hebrew prophets, you'll find out that they were very, very visual. I think that when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, I think he had wheat in his hands. I think he used seeds that people could see. Uh, All through the Bible, uh, God asked Jeremiah, what do you see? And uh, Jeremiah said, I see the rod of an almond tree. And, uh, And so God taught Jeremiah certain spiritual laws through things that he could see. So uh, it's, it's, it's really a shame not to use the gate of vision to communicate the word. Kids remember so much more what they see than what they hear. Mm. And hearing is important, but it's great when you can mix the two together. So whenever I would think of any kind of a sermon, I would think, okay, how can I do something visually to go along with the idea that I'm trying to get across? And that totally changed everything for me. 
And, and I started seeing kids' attention really pick up. Now, here's the other thing I saw. No matter how great it was visually, I also saw that I was limited to a few minutes. And so if I had, say, kids 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, about 8 to 9 minutes was about as long as I could go with anything that I did. And that attention span was what governed me. And so I started realizing when I go 15 minutes, I lose them. They drop out over the last 15 minutes. So, but then the other thing that I learned, and and it was just by observation and by the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, kids don't know anything just because they hear it once. You, you tell your kids, make the bed just one time and see if it happens. Uh, they They have to be told repeatedly. And uh, the scripture says in Isaiah 28, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Right there is the formula, is exactly how you teach kids. You repeat yourself, and you don't teach a whole lot. You teach one simple idea, nothing but that idea in that whole service. And I could write in one sentence what every lesson was going to be about. So if I had a puppet show, it was about that idea. If I had a costume character who came in for an interview, it was about that idea. If I did an illustrated sermon, it was about that idea. The memory verse, it was about that idea. If I had a hero story, and by the way, uh, I told Gospel Bill stories for years before I ever became Gospel Bill. I had no intention of ever being Gospel Bill, but I knew Gospel Bill by all the stories that I made up about it. And I told gospel bill stories every week. Now, after about six to eight weeks, I noticed that kids got tired of gospel bill stories. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to put a new rapper on a great idea. So I turned him into a guy named Coonskin Ben. And Coonskin Ben was a David Crockett type of guy. Kids loved it. After about six, eight weeks, I got tired of him. So I switched over to a new guy, Captain Faith. And he was, uh, uh, John Paul Jones type ship captain and fault pirates and all this kind of stuff. And so I had uh, all of these different characters and I'd, I'd, I'd rotate them. And then the kids would say, when are you going to tell another gospel bill story? So I knew it was okay to go back. So I started rotating characters and I'd create all these different characters that I could reuse. Uh, and uh, great uh, TV shows were like that. The Andy Griffith show, they, yep. it was Andy Barney, but they yeah. were always rotating in guys like Gomer, Opie's doing this or that or the other, or they bring in Ernest T. They've got all these different characters they can go to to make the show interesting. Floyd, the barber, or Otis, the drunk, yeah. and all of these different people. And so the show was never just about uh, uh, the same people over and over. Uh, they would create new uh, conflicts for different ones. And so it rotated and I learned that. And, uh, so you can have a great idea and when kids get tired of it, don't throw it away. Just put a new wrapper on it. And, uh, and, uh, that, that really taught me. So I did that for years. And then when we did become gospel bill, when I realized I, I'm, I'm going to do a kid's TV show and the best advice I got, it was uh, a guy that worked with Pat Boone and he suggested to us, why don't you guys act out stories, create problems, and let your characters go through the problem, and, and you be the hero guy who solves the problem. Andy, I'm, I was the Andy Griffith of the Gospel Bill Show. 
Mm-hmm. And my character, Nicodemus, my friend, Nicodemus, uh, Ken Blunt, he was the, the Barney Fife, so to speak. And then right. I had an extra large, I had, I had, now I had to have a strong girl character. So that was Miss Lana who had the general store. She's a spiritual lady. She was weak. If an outlaw picked on her, whatever, you know, the, she had a vulnerability there. Gospel Bill didn't have any vulnerabilities. And, 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 and that, you know, that's kind of a hard role to play when you're always the strong guy, but somebody's got to be the straight man. You, you've got to have that person's got to be consistent when you shift characters every week and your character is real strong one week and weak the next, he loses his believability. And so that was one thing that we were really, really big on. You have to be believable. And you, your character has to be consistent. So anyway, we did it. It worked. And God blessed it. And we reached a lot of kids. Amen. Uh, guys, you have anything you want to say before uh, uh, we go to the next yeah, question? Yeah, uh, Gospel Real. I remember when I was watching uh, one of your shows is the Treasure one. Uh, the one that Treasure Treasure, from Eagle Mountain. Yeah, yeah, Treasures from Eagles Mountain. And I was watching behind the scenes how you were saying you were asking God for a plot. You were asking God, you know, to give you a vision or, or to help you with the story. And uh, I realized that, man, that sounds like me because I'm a story writer. You know, I write stories. And there was cases where God just gave me a vision or just gave me an idea. So I was really encouraged. I, I was not the only crazy one out there, you know, a Christian that believed like that. So that was pretty interesting. No, if you teach young people, you got to be half crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we fit. <laughs> you know, uh, I fit real good. <laughs> was a guy I learned a lot from over the years. Kenneth Hagin was a fabulous storyteller, Mm. fabulous storyteller. The stories opened up his teaching and made it so much easier to understand. Guys who don't tell stories are shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, You you need to tell a story to illustrate everything you talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, uh, I always tell young communicators, you need three things. Number one is your scripture basis. What scripture is it you're trying to get across? That's number one. Number two, what is the principle behind that scripture? You know, it's don't be afraid or this and the other. Then then what illustrations are you going to use? What story do you have that will uh, show me this in real life? But you see what I like, Pastor, what I like about that is like when you take a story and you can show about fear, for example, and you show that character going through fear and how he overcame it through God's word or through the faith in the Lord, you know. And so people can I, I, people actually pick up on things like that. You'd be surprised. I find a story is so much better. I mean, people can make moral stories and it's OK. But to me, a Christian can make a better story when he talks about how you deal with Christian things in life. You you use know? Christian principles. Right. Exactly. And you overcome it. Absolutely. You guys are probably too young to remember, but when I was really small, there was a guy on television named Captain Kangaroo. He was on five days a week. Bowen Bowen remembers. Okay, well, you remember Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Green Jeans and Bunny Rabbit. (laughs) Yeah, I used to watch that on the weekends, man. I watch that all the time. All right, well, Captain Kangaroo was on Monday through Friday on network television, was on for over 20 years and never got canceled. Yeah. which means that his ratings were up. And so they asked him at the end of his run, how did you do that, Captain? How did you keep kids watching? And he said something I thought was fascinating. He said, I never told the kids I was going to teach them anything. I never looked into the camera and tried to teach kids a thing. He said, what happened is that Mr. Green Jeans would come in and show me something. He would teach me or I would explain something to him. 
or I would teach bunny rabbit something or dancing bear would come in with something and teach us. And kids are great at watching somebody else be taught. Uh, so I had two puppets that I would start off my, my children's church with. And one of them was St. Bernard and it was a big old stuffed animal, St. Bernard. And I cut it up and made the mouth move and all that and made a puppet out of it. And we called him Saint and Saint always got everything right. And, uh, then we had another, uh, puppet that was a tiger and I think we called him toothless tiger, whatever. Anyway, he was stupid. And Tiger <laughs> always screwing up. And, and so, you know, he would say, he'd tell us what he had done. It was wrong. And I'd say, kids, that's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Come on. Say, come on, Toothless. You got to do better than that. It's <laughs> the holler at this Tiger. So I never had the kids holler at themselves, but I would have a Tiger act like what these kids were doing wrong. And we would uh, rebuke the Tiger or praise the dog, you know, uh, St. Bernard. So, <laughs> I, I, so I put those characters up there, and uh, we had role models like that. That's kind of what Captain Kangaroo did, and that was a secret. And I, I learned that, heard that story early on in my uh, production of Gospel Bill. I'm so glad I did. It really helped me. Mm, wow. Do you have something, or you? Uh, I seen you looked into the mic earlier. So the only thing I wanted to bring up was the fact that you said you have to have a good story for the for the kids to to. Uh, to go along with and so uh that's something that i've been trying to to try to get a, a good theme going for any stories that i would potentially tell so uh, i've been trying to get more details in the stories that i've been trying to make but uh, i really like that you said uh to centralize one main main theme yeah that's really good yeah, yeah. One, let me tell you, in story writing, and I've written hundreds of stories, so uh, I, I have a little experience with this. Uh, the key part of telling a story is creating the characters. Right. And most people in your position, when they start thinking about stories, they don't know who they're going to tell the stories about. And that's a huge disadvantage. Now, think about uh, Andy Griffith's show. Uh, you're writing a story. Well, you're halfway there because you've got Don Knotts and you've got Andy Griffith. You've got Opie, Nate B. You've got all these people who have very defined personalities. And so all you have to have now is an idea. And you think about how this idea affects each one of those characters. And so uh, that's the real key to a great story is creating a cast of characters. It's easy to come up with the plots who are you going to tell the story about? So you need to start thinking about who is this story about? Who? I mean, surely there's somebody that runs around in Louisiana that uh, uh, that you're familiar with. See, I was familiar with cowboys because my family was a ranching family. My great-great-grandfather was a Texas ranger. Uh, my dad was a professional rodeo cowboy. I grew up on the rodeo circuit. I got to meet Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, all those guys when I was a little kid. Uh, so when I started thinking about what am I going to be, it was a no brainer. I'm going to be a cowboy because I know something about it. And I'm from West Texas and I do not have, I have a Texas accent and my guy Nicodemus with me, he's from West Texas too. His accent's worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> we had no choice. We had, and so you guys 
Yeah, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but you do have Cajun accents. So yes. <laughs> I would come up with something that's germane to your area and uh, create a group of characters, you know, and, 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 and write, write out a little profile. Who is this guy? How old is he? How does he wear his hair? What's his clothing like? Uh, what, what's distinct about him? Why does he wear the same pair of overalls every time you see him? Why does he always go barefooted? Uh, <laughs> is a bit of snake bit. Uh, you, know, you know, you've got all those kinds of things. And, and uh, uh, once you start creating characters like that, then uh, a, a plot is super easy. You, you, you get a whole list of those episodes done. And then sometimes you shift gears. And so maybe we're going to go to space for a while or, or, you know, we're going to have a fighter pilot or, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe it's a football player. There's so many different ways you can go, but the characters are the keys to writing lots of stories. That's right. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, I just wanted to say, I, I think I get a lot of plots and a lot of themes and a lot of ideas but then I don't have characters in mind to to play out the themes and the plots. So I, yeah. I, I'm kind of getting caught right there. But now that you say to create a character that that somebody can follow along with and understand their story, then it yeah. then it gets their attention. You know, uh, for me, I was an artist as well as uh, being a storyteller. Uh, and now I wasn't a great storyteller to be, and I learned how to do it, but I was an artist. So I actually started drawing pictures of my characters and I'd have cutouts of them and I'd look at them and think, okay, now how is this going to affect this guy and this gal over here? And, and so these pictures, just having a profile and a picture, how old are they? What education do they have? You know, uh, what idiosyncrasies do they have? Uh, you know, when you do that, uh, it, they become, when they become real to you, you can make them real to your audience. If they're not real to you, they're never going to be real to your audience. And one thing I noticed too, like when you're writing a story, it's like people can relate to it. Cause like they said, they're going through things, you know, like if people going through fear or like I said, doubt or discouragement, they can look at that character and say, wow, if that character can make it, you know, I can make it. So I find I find that a lot. I find that amazing when you write stories, how that happens with people. And you were saying how people can play a big effect, you know, things around you, too. You know, when I started writing, I learned how I was amazed how a lot of writers, they were affected by people, like you said, people they knew or whatever. And people things around them, you know, a house couldn't have been an inspiration to them, people. So even their life, they put in the story and they have people that represent them in the story. But it was really them. And character form. So a lot of people, writers like you and me, we get a lot of inspiration from that too. You know, from yeah, pe- things around us and people. Yeah, that's how God chose to begin the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically right. a bunch of stories. The theme of the Book of Acts is getting this gospel to the whole world. Mm-hmm. So, so you have two different things. Jesus said you're going to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then Acts 1, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Well, what do you watch in Acts? You see them start with Jerusalem, then they go to Judea, then right. they get into Samaria. Ultimately, they get to the uttermost part of the earth. Then you see in Acts 8, God leads Philip supernaturally to go down and, and hear this Ethiopian eunuch reading the scroll of Isaiah 53 out loud, but he doesn't know what it means. So Philip leads him to Christ. Uh, he's Ethiopian, which means he's of the line of Ham, the son of Noah Ham. That's where he comes from. 
Then in Acts chapter 9, you have Saul of Tarsus on his way to persecute the, the Christians uh, that live in Damascus, and Jesus appears to him. Uh, he gets saved. He's of the line of Shem. The Hebrews came from Shem. And then you have Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He's an Italian, and God sends an angel to him, tells him where he can hear the words of salvation. He sends to Peter to come. Peter comes, preaches to him. And so you see this guy who is of the line of Japheth. So in three successive chapters, you have three supernatural salvation stories, but they are Ham, Shem, Japheth. And so it's, it's God uses stories to basically illustrate what his mission is and his purpose is, is to get the gospel to every person on earth. Shem, Ham, I, Jacob, I never heard, thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. I never thought of the descendants of that. That is pretty neat. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that was good. I like that. That was real good. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and move on, Brother uh, George, because you we just talked about stories, and you, you say you had number of characters and I was going to ask you how you came up with gospel bill, but you kind of explained that earlier. So my next question would be what, why gospel bill? Why did you pick that character out of all the other characters you have? What, why that one stuck? Well, he, he stuck because first of all, uh, I didn't know enough about any other field of endeavor to be an authority. I knew about rodeo. I knew about cowboys. I knew horses. I knew a lot of people, uh, that, uh, costumes were easy to come by in our part of the world. Uh, I, I, I just, I knew a whole lot about that. Uh, we didn't live too terribly far away from scenery that looked like it was Arizona, Utah. So if I needed to film on remote locations, I could do that. And so uh, that really, it, it worked for us. And cowboys are universal. Uh, we, we, went to, uh, we went to Indonesia. And uh, uh, I, uh, Gospel Bill always carried a pistol. So I had a BB gun that looked, it was a replica of a Colt 45. <laughs> but it was a BB gun. And so we were coming through customs in Jakarta, Indonesia. And uh, so we're coming into the country, and that uh, Colt 45 showed up on X-ray. We were surrounded by Indonesian police pretty quick. <laughs> so they, they came up, and uh, they, uh, they opened up this big trunk, and there was that pistol. We always laid it right on the top in the holster, and this guy looks at it, picks it up, and then he, he looks at the end. He can tell it's just a BB pistol. And uh, But in that, was we had our hats, and so I got my hat on, and I asked for the pistol. He handed it to me, so I started twirling the pistol, and this guy couldn't speak any English. But he said, John Wayne. <laughs> John Wayne fixed it for me to get in and out of Indonesia with that gun. So uh, anyway, uh, I I realized right then how universal the idea of the Western is, not just in America, but around the world. People know Americans as cowboys. And a lot of people don't like that, but I'm sorry it's just the way it is. won't apologize for it. Well, uh, was it between 18... I don't know, I'm gonna try to get a hatred. 
1869 to 1900. That's all it was. It was the Wild West. They were extending towards California and everything. And that, like yeah. you said, it, you know, you, people that don't know history, you mentioned Wyatt or Billy the Kid or any known figure of the West, uh, Jesse James and Frank James. They know them. They mm-hmm. just, yeah. They're all bad guys. Some was, one was a good guy, but they all know them. Yeah. No, they did. And, and that was another thing. Uh, those people uh, operated within 100, 150 miles of where I grew up. Oh, wow. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I, there were Indian battlefields all over where I was. Some of the great uh, Indian fights with Custer and uh, the Cheyennes. And uh, that happened about 40 miles as the crow flies from where I grew up. Uh, the Battle of the Washita, the the Battle of, uh, let me see, Lyman's Wagon Trade, and the longest uh, North American Plains Indian fight lasted over three days, uh, the longest one in history. Uh, let's see, the longest shot fired, uh, Billy Dixon shot a uh, buffalo gun 1,500 yards and knocked an Indian out of the saddle after the uh, Battle of Adobe Walls. That's 60 miles from my, where I grew up. So I had all of that in my heritage. And so uh, um, just in the town that I grew up in was Mesa country and ranches and all that. So just to drive, you felt like you were in a Western. Wow. And so I just, it was honest for me to be able to just make that a part of what I did on television. So it looked like the old West. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I found out later on through some genealogy that my great, great grandfather was a Texas Ranger. And it was uh, just an amazing story how I found that out. Uh, He died when my great grandfather was two. So the family didn't know about this. I found the guy's tombstone. And as I was tracing the tombstone, there was a star at the top of the tombstone. And the old man whose ranch this grave was on in Texas said, son, you know what that star means? I said, no, sir. I have no idea. He said, it means he was a ranger. So I wrote the Texas Ranger Museum and asked if they had a record of him. They did. And I found out he was in a ranger company with a guy named Charles Goodnight. Charles Goodnight is the most famous Texas Ranger of all and was the inspiration for the miniseries Lonesome Dove. The character Woodrow F. Call in uh, Lonesome Dove, that's really Charles Goodnight. Oh, wow. Wow. Great, great grandfather was in the same ranger company as him. And so, uh, you know, uh, so I, I come by this stuff honest. And, and, and it kind of it kind of yeah. fit in your blood, too, because you made Bill Gunner or Gospel Bill a sheriff or, or U.S. Marshal. Yes, we did. And the reason we did that, uh, I would have done that as a Texas Ranger, but we couldn't sell where we were in Oklahoma as Texas. Too many trees, it's too green and so forth but it fit great for being in the Indian territory. In fact, my, my grandfather was born in 1895. Oklahoma didn't become a state till 1907. So he was 12 years old before Oklahoma became a state. And up until that time, it was called Indian territory. And to his dying day, which was 1979, I never heard him say Oklahoma. He said, we're going to run over here to the Indian territory and pick up some cows. <laughs> It was always the Indian Territory. He, you know, it, it was just burned in him as a kid, and he lived about sixteen, eighteen miles from the state line. So wow, wow. So, so, brother George, I got a question to ask you. Um, 
how did gospel build take off? Like you talked about in the children's ministry, it worked there. But when you felt the call of God to say, look, this is going on television. Did it, did it rock it like to the top right away or what what, what did it do? It it didn't. It was terrible. Uh, The only people who watched the shows, I made the first 12 episodes, uh, six at a time and they were terrible. Uh, Nobody wanted to watch them. My kids watched them because they were in them. uh, That was it. But uh, it it, it didn't work. uh, So we kept experimenting. And uh, then we got a little better with the next 39 episodes. We shot all those in South Bend, Indiana. But I I was having to shoot up there. I was having to shoot 15, 20 episodes a week. And the quality wasn't very good. So we finally got a studio in the spring of 84, and in the spring of 84, we built some pretty good interior sets and in a little studio uh, that we leased. And uh, anyway, that, that was the beginning of the national syndication. And uh, so, and by the time we got into that, uh, we, we started hitting our stride. We started seeing uh, kids watching, the networks picking them up, our, our coverage uh, grew, more and more people heard about us. And then when we would go out and do meetings, we were starting to see crowds like you wouldn't believe. It was it was unreal. I, I already had a really well-known ministry in the church world because I did all the camp meetings. I, I would do the kids' services for the camp meetings. I mean, it was not uncommon for me to have 1,500 kids in a, in a camp meeting service here in Tulsa uh, at night. And uh, so... And people marveled at, at not just at the fact that we could hold kids' attention. We had healings. We had amazing things happen. And lots of kids filled the Holy Spirit. Loads of kids saved. And so that got around, and it, it got me invitations to churches all over the country. And so, uh, you know, we, we finally figured out how to do the right kind of meetings. In the beginning, the pastors would invite me and they had ideas of how to use me and they'd wear me out and, and we didn't do very well. And God gave me a plan, a formula on how to go to a church. And so when a pastor would ask, I'd say, well, this is how we work. This is how we come Friday night. I will do a big rally. We will set the record for attendance in your church. I promise you, uh, at least half the people are going to come from outside your church. They're going to come from all over everywhere. Saturday, I want to train children's workers. I'm going to charge $25 a person for an all-day seminar. And uh, it'll be a bargain. And uh, But I, the money will go directly to me and my ministry. And, and I don't mind you knowing how much uh, we bring in, but it, it's certainly not that much. The offering we take on Friday night, I can tell you what it'll be. It'll be a dollar a person. And so if I have 1,500 people in your auditorium, the offering will be $1,500. That didn't even cover our plane fare because it took me five to six people to uh, do the meeting. So, you know, uh, plane fare was more than that. But where we made our money and where we finally were able to pay the bills was I had things for sale. I sold curriculum to the children's workers. I sold uh, video clubs to homes and families and so forth. And that's how we, we made our money. And uh, nobody felt the burden of that because it was spread out over so many hundreds of people. No pastor ever said, man, they came in my church and drained me dry. That was never said about us because we never did do that. And so that's why we had open doors to go back again and again and again and again. We left a good taste in people's mouths. And uh, so, and then if they wanted me to, I could preach on Sunday mornings. Sometimes, sometimes I did. When I started a church in 87, then I had to give that up. 
and I had to get home to take care of our church. So I would give up churches of 1,500 people to come home and preach to 50 people in, in our church. And I wondered if we were ever going to get there, but it turned around after a while. Amen. Uh, your, your church at the moment, I'm bringing to the present, you, you started off with 50 people. Now you over three campuses, if I'm not correct. Right. Right. Uh, it, 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 the peak uh, attendance from 2000 to about 2010, uh, for me, as senior pastor, was somewhere around 10,000 people a wow. week with all the unduplicated reaches and so forth. And, th- and that was in a day when people were more open to being in a big auditorium, big services, and that sort of thing. People have kind of changed a little bit, and they don't want to drive as far. So that's why we've gone to a multi-campus model. So it's a different day. Right. Uh, there are a few of the bigger churches like that where culturally people still accept that, but but it's not like you would think, not like it used to be anyway. Yeah, a lot of things have changed in the church age from the time your church started till now. Because, mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately with the pandemic that came, live streaming blew, blew up and ministries like this, podcasting and stuff has also grown up too. We always tell people don't use this as a substitute for your church going but right. if somebody can't make it to church, they still have that opportunity to hear the word of the Lord. Absolutely. And I love it that we have uh, another tool at our disposal to reach people, but it is no substitute for being present with other believers. Now, if you're an older person, you've got some exposure to COVID, maybe or comorbidities, you definitely do not need to catch the disease. I understand you being a little bit more careful about getting out. I do. Um, but, uh, but there is no substitute, especially if you're younger, healthier, there's no substitute for getting into a fellowship with other brothers and sisters. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world. Look, just, uh, brother George, we've been doing this close to two years now. And guys, we, we tell everybody all the time, it's a blessing just being in this room, brother George, you being here, it's edifying us. And we're, the Bible says two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. And it's a just imagine a whole church full of people there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can't beat it. Yeah, no, you can't. And, 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 you know, I, I've had some amazing times in the Lord when I'm at home, but I can also say that there's something special that happens when you're in that corporate environment where the spirit of God is moving. And, and what happens is you, you, you get outside yourself. You see how God uses other people. And and you and when the Holy Spirit moves on you, He will touch your heart to bless and help other people. Which that's really what we're all about, sir. Yes, sir. So, brother George, uh, well, before I move on, to anyone else got any questions or? Uh, oh yeah, one part I remember watching one of the shows. It's like when Nicodemus was talking to Amber, and he says, uh, "What about the covenant?" And he says, uh, well, that's the one we made with Lindsay. And he says, what about it? And he says, well, it's hard for me to explain. He looked at Kenneth Copeland. Um, yeah, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, Kenneth Copeland. And he says, uh, what is the covenant? And I'll never, never forget that. He says, it's a solemn promise that will never be broken. He, he used how the Indians used to cut each other's wrists and they will come, become blood brothers. So I still remember that, you know, mm-hmm. today. That out of all the show, that's one of the best parts I remember from that yeah. movie. No, and, and see, that goes back to Captain Kangaroo. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Captain Kangaroo said the best way to teach is have one of your characters ask another character a question. Mm-hmm. Right. So Kenneth Copeland was the one to explain what a covenant is. And because Kenneth Copeland is Cherokee, too, by the way. Yes, right? I heard about that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so that's why we wrote that story. The best movie I think we did was definitely called Covenant Rider. Right. Yes. It's the yes. best story. 
you know, we, we weren't very good at, 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 at so many things and our acting wasn't the greatest and all that, but that movie had some power to it. And brother Copeland really had a, uh, he, he had a, a real handle on that, uh, and a great passion as well. The lady who played his mother in that movie was a full-blood Kiowa woman and a wonderful believer. Wow. Uh, she was a wonderful believer. She was very well known in Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know if she's still living or not, uh, but at the, she was an older woman at the time. And uh, uh, we wove that together. And, of course, Jesse Duplantis was the bad guy. In the <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and, uh, he, oh, poor, yeah. poor Jesse, my gosh. I remember when he came to Tulsa and we had a Hollywood crew put uh, a mask on him and they had to pour uh, this uh, plaster on his face. And for him to breathe, he couldn't open his mouth. We had to stick straws up his nose so he could breathe. Wow. And uh, they had, he had to stay there for, I don't know how long, at least an hour for that to set. And then we pulled it off his face and they poured, uh, several different appliques into that thing and made a bunch of rubber masks. So whenever it came time for him to get into makeup, it took about three hours oh, wow. for him to become an old man. Wow. And, uh, and I thought they did a great job. He yeah, really yes. did an old guy. He, he, he did a good job acting as a bad guy. He did. I got to yeah, give him no, that. He did. You hated his guts. And, and, but that's, that, that's the thing. Uh, if you ever saw the movie Tombstone, the reason that it was such a good movie was had good outlaws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The outlaws were just great. You hated their guts. I mean, who doesn't hate Ike Clinton in that movie? Yes. And I hate the guy's guts. What a smart aleck. <laughs> and Curly Bill and, and uh, you know, uh, Johnny Ringo and uh, all those guys, great outlaws make good movies. I mean, there is no David without a Goliath. Yes. Right, right. right. So that's what you see in the Bible. I mean, there's Daniel, then there's the lion's den. And uh, you, 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 you've got to have the bad guys to make the thing interesting. Right. So, 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 uh, unfortunately, all good things have to end. Um, and look, to be honest with you, brother George, when I uh, when I got into age, I asked my parents because we had the old D, uh, VD, VHSs at the time, and y'all would have the number to where you can join the club. And mm-hmm. I remember calling one day to my mom. I said, "Look, I said I got a part time job. I want to do this." And they were like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's go ahead and get these movies." You know. And I called the numbers, and the lady said, "Sorry, we don't sell them no more." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I waited too long." But I oh, got bless your heart. I got the uh, I did get the DVDs. I found them on a uh, Kenneth Copeland's website, and uh, I picked them up. And we found some on eBay and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, when when did you when did you feel it was time to give up Gospel Bill? And when when did you the Lord was saying, "Look, you did your part. This is this is you need to focus on your church." What, what was the process like? You know. Uh, uh, when I started realizing, okay, how many times do I go do this same kind of meeting in Houston? I've been here maybe six, seven times already. I've hit every major church in the city. I've been to Brother Osteen's several times. Uh, how long do we do this? And I thought, you know, the day is going to come when it's going to go, it's going to drop, 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 drop. We're not going to draw a crowd and, we're going to be pitiful really. And, and so in the mid nineties, I realized that and I said, it's, it's over. And so we stopped in 96, 96 was our last uh, uh, time. And God gave me another outreach at dry Gulch called Christmas train in 96. We reached over a million people with that outreach. Wow. And, uh, 
it, it was very powerful. And so there was always something more to do. It was just different. And now. Ah, Lincoln football. <laughs> we were in the state championship uh, uh, week before last. Uh, we've been in the state championship game three times in the last three years. So, so you're wow. coaching now? You're coaching as well no, as No, I'm not coaching, but I, I'm, I'm enabling. I'm the Jerry Jones of Lincoln Christian. Ah, uh-huh. I got you. Uh-huh. I got you. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, Brother George, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to open up to guys if they have, want to do follow-up uh, questions with this one. How do you feel? Because we reached out to you, and I don't know if you were shocked to get an invitation on a podcast like this. Um how do you feel when you hear young men like us and even the young ladies come up and tell you, Brother George, you ministered to us through your uh, your movies. You uh, even now you're in, uh, with your uh, with your school. Uh, people come and say, Brother George, you ministered to us. You you helped us in our walk. You we even got saved through your ministry. What does that make you feel like? What what what? Well, do you- I hear it all the time. I do. And I know they appreciate it. And, and what, what uh, I'll be honest with you, when you guys were little, nobody cared if you got saved. Very few parents have enough spiritual insight to rejoice when their kids describe a spiritual experience. They think, ah, oh, they're just kids. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, yeah, that's sweet. That's kind of pat them on the head and, and that's where a lot of parents are. Hopefully your parents weren't like that, but no. most parents not. Most parents don't celebrate their kids being saved. They don't really think the kid, and, and let me tell you why, because kids don't grow up the minute they get saved. They're still kids. Well, I asked one man for permission to baptize his three daughters. They rode my bus. They all three got saved. He said, no, I don't think they got anything. He said, they still don't like to wash the dishes. I said, I'm, I'm a grown man. I still don't like to wash the dishes. <laughs> Jesus didn't say these signs of all of them that, that believe they love to wash the dishes. Where that come from? Uh, you know, but people expect kids to grow up when they get saved, and they're still kids. They're still kids. And so, what I love today is is these young men and women will come to me and say, "I got saved watching you." And now, of course, their parents are thrilled. Their parents believe today because they've seen a lifetime of fruit. Uh, but when the kid accepted Christ, it was all a step of faith. I, I have no misconceptions about it. Loads of ministries had me do the kids because it was cheap babysitting. And it hurt me. It broke my heart because I knew that's all they saw me as. I'm a babysitter. But the Lord told me, you go and do it anyway, because I don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of children's workers in churches today, they they know that loads of adults in the church do not see them as real ministers. I, I'm not surprised by it. Jesus in Matthew 18 spends 14 verses talking about kids who get saved and believe on him. 14 verses. In verse 5, Matthew 18, he even goes so far as to say, if you receive one such little child in my name, you receive me. And you can have Jesus in your church every Sunday. How? Treat kids like they're special. And Jesus comes to your church every Sunday. And I was fortunate enough to know that. And our church was blessed financially. I had pastors say, you can't afford to do what you've done for kids. Yeah, 80% of my buildings 400,000 square feet of buildings at Church on the Move campus 
in Tulsa. 80% of it is strictly for kids, 80%. And they tell you, you can't do that. I did it, and I still have wonderful finances today because all these kids have grown up, and they love me, and they love what we did. I went into a staff meeting the other day. I walked out of it. Uh, just went in for a second. It was my son's and several of their players, about 10 of them. And as I went down the hall, I almost started crying. I thought in 1995, when I launched 180, the youth group, I thought I was saving those kids. They were saving me. I looked around that table and eight of the 10 of those leaders in there were teenagers in 1995. Wow. They're running our church today. I thought I was saving them. They were saving me. I'm able to do what I'm doing today. I'm able to, to unload some of my burden because of them. And see, a lot of people don't see that. And so how does it make me feel? Fantastic. Man. And now it's catching up, you see. The parents are seeing it today because they know this all started with Gospel Bill and my kids when they were little. So. Yeah. Guys, wow. y'all want to have any uh, um, final statement? I, I'm gonna, I just want to say something that um, Willie George said. You know, Jesus said, let the children come unto me, mm-hmm. for such is the kingdom of God. And unless you believe as a little child, you will not enter that kingdom. Jesus right. loved the children. That's one yes, thing Jesus did. did. He loved the little kids. He loved the little children. And, and I think that's one of the things that I think is the greatest thing on the face of this earth is when a minister can reach the young people because the young people are our generation. That's the generation for us. Uh, I don't want to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up to you. Maybe you have a comment on it. Look at all the babies that are being aborted right now. Sixty-something million children. How many generations of children have we killed? You know, yes. and people, children that could have came to Christ, that could have yes. been won to Christ. You know, and I That's read so that. I read that in the Bible, and I read how Jesus received the little children. I mean, that that just breaks your heart when you think about things like that. I just wanted to to share that with you. Yeah, I did a study on that. Uh, over the last 10 years between the number of babies that were miscarried and the number of babies that were aborted, roughly 1 billion children went to heaven. Uh 1 billion. Mm. There is no way that 1 billion adult believers have died and gone to heaven in the last 10 years. There've been a bunch, but not a billion. Right. So Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. If I were to point to you four Cajuns and say, of such is the kingdom of heaven, I would be saying heaven is full of Louisiana people. (laughs) (laughs) But that isn't what Jesus said. He pointed to children and said, heaven is made up of these guys. And keep in mind, it was his own disciples who tried to turn the parents away. Right, right, right. Right. Sometimes even people in the church don't see the value of the kids. But Jesus said, heaven's full of kids. It's full of kids. kids, You won't like heaven. That's right. Uh, I will say to your listeners, this is the quietest world you will ever live in. That's right. right. We're going to be screaming in hell, and then heaven has at least one billion children. So you think about that's why God never turns the lights out up there. Uh, it never gets dark. How do you turn the lights out on one billion children? That's right. That's right. You can do it. Um, Boog, you got anything you 
Oh uh, no, I'm just saying it was very encouraging, you know, hearing like oh. you know, the way you're talking about writing and stuff, and some things I God showed me when I, I started writing my book and my stories. He showed me like he didn't, he made me realize how powerful it was. I took it for granted. I took like well, a story is just a story, but when you read like the way you explain it, and I heard it from other people, like parables. You know, Jesus used parables. You know, and the Bible uses parables, so it it really has an impact on society and on people. I was hearing the other day in the news, they were admitting, they said, well, the reason why these people are robbing a while back or doing this thing because they listen to rappers, they listen to movies, and, and they influence them. So they're admitting movies and stories play on society and people. Absolutely. So it, it, so it is important, mm. you know. Yep. Bobby, you, guys, you got anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? Well, George, I just wanted to thank you for being here with us today and uh, talking about your, your great stories that that you chose to walk with God and he blessed you even even in the in your old age he's blessing you increasingly just because you were faithful and little I appreciate that guys thank you very much it's been my joy to be with you brother George it was all, the joy was ours yes. we yes. Uh, to be honest with you I was looking forward to this so much because yeah, me I still watch your movies let's just say it like yeah, that I still watch too. your shows and um you know even in the gospel bill shows you're talking about uh, stories there's still stories even in that kids show i look at them like wow that has an adult meaning to it and me being a 30 year old man i still get what the lord's trying to show people in that age and it's just it's a blessing my brother to have you on here yeah and look my brother i hope you don't mind i would love to have you back on anytime <laughs> to talk and uh to bring up some stuff yeah well one one of these days we'll do that yes 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 Maybe in person. Hey, look, as a lot of people say, if not down here on earth in heaven, we we'll have a big, uh, uh, like, can't can Halloween song one time, a hold down up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to come down there to Louisiana where even the air is fried. <laughs> hey, look, hey, you talking about that, my brother. The other day, I, we, I drive dumb trucks. I drive dumb trucks, and my wife loves pizza. I walked to the convenience store. I look. I said, no, they did not. They had fried pizza. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm like, pizza's bad at noon. Fried. Fried pizza. What are they going to come up with next? I don't know. What are they going to come up with next? That's Cajun to the core. That's Cajun yeah, yeah, to the core. Spice all the way, man. My brother George, if you're ever in town, you have my number. Please give me a call. We would love to have you in studio. or go. We'll, let's say it like this. If you're ever in our area, we got a real good Cajun restaurant to bring you to. You can have yeah. fried shrimp, fried crawfish, ball crawfish, gumbo, whatever you want. Hey, look, hey, look, let's say even like this. Remember our 100 episode? Bowen cooked us a chicken and sausage gumbo. You come down here, you come down here, my brother. I tell you what, I'll, I'll cook you a seafood gumbo with fried crawfish and fried shrimp and you'll, 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 you'll go back home with a happy gut. I promise you that. Yeah, yeah. It might be so good. You might want to stay. It was nice meeting you, brother George. Yeah, it was it was a real pleasure. You Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank, I appreciate it. Thanks Thank you, much. brother George. That was Willie George from Church on the Move and Faith Root Podcast, also known as Gospel Bill. Um, that was a that was a blessing, guys. That was yes, a blessing. Was. Story. That's right. uh, until next week, guys. You be blessed. You be encouraged. Remember, Jesus Christ is on the throne, and He's coming back, and He's coming back soon. If you want to know Jesus Christ, just email us, brothers. Just searching podcast at gmail dot com. We'll get in touch with you. We'll tell you how to find Jesus and make heaven your uh, your eternal home. So until next week, bye bye.